This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Payer Issues Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Carolyn Carney, President of Behavior Health at Magellan Healthcare and Chief Medical Officer of Magellan Health, which oversees Magellan Health Rx Management and Magellan Healthcare. Dr. Carney, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about, but before we dive into that discussion, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Oh, sure. Absolutely. So I'll try to make my story short. Um, I've never been satisfied doing only one type of thing, even as a young student. For instance, while I was in college, I was the editor for one of the editors for the school newspaper and the literary publication while taking on science courses needed for medical school and doing an internship with a congressman. I really like to be involved in many different areas so that I can see the web of how all sorts of things lead together. I got to managed care through working with Wellmark very early in my academic medicine career. And I worked both for Wellmark and uh, at the University of Iowa at the same time. I learned that I wasn't patient enough for academic medicine and the typical grant cycle of applying for a grant and waiting for a decision and likely having to resubmit so that by the time you actually got to do the work, the idea may have become stale. And in managed care, I learned that we have the ability to analyze, ideate, and intervene in a more real-time fashion and to be able then to use the quality cycle to change and improve programs without going through that longer process. And that really, really appealed to me. So over time, as I left academic medicine, I worked in the policy space at Indiana's Medicaid program and then went mostly full-time into managed care. I still support an FQHC in their behavioral health program and get to do staffing rounds and work with a team there who is providing behavioral health care to low-income individuals. Um, I'm a board-certified internist and a board-certified psychiatrist, and I think that's really the core of my being. I keep the patient and the member at the heart of what I do, and I will always think it's a privilege to be a clinician and to be part of someone's journey and manage care, we really have to keep that forefront in our minds and what we do and how we do it. At the end of the day, it's to make someone's life better. That's really fantastic to hear. And I love that mission in in really summing up what drives you to do great things every single day. Now, given your position and your role with Magellan Health, what are the top issues that are consuming most of your time today? The first actually is in learning my new role as president of Magellan Behavioral Health. I've always been in the CMO role. Um, And so this is really exciting because while I've been part of the executive leadership team across Magellan, I'm now delving much more deeply into those business levers that drive where we are in the marketplace and where our products make the most sense moving forward. There are many out there who believe that the behavioral health carve out is dead because of the need to better integrate care management around the whole person. I am all for that integrated view of the whole person given my background. But I think that the behavioral health carve out isn't dead. I think it's evolving into a space to bring together solutions and to provide solutions and services to meet the needs of complex members 
and for those members living in complex circumstances, like those who are deeply troubled with social determinants of health. So I see that role of a behavioral health carve-out like Magellan or others really changing and evolving as the healthcare space has evolved. So that's been really top of mind for me from a more personal level of thinking about my own company. In the general sense of what's happening in the country right now, the disruption taking place in medicine is really paramount. Some of it I think is absolutely terrific in getting services to people in convenient ways as we have seen through COVID fueling telemedicine services and other digital services. However, the provider shortage is very real. Suicide is still a huge issue. The use of street drugs like heroin and fentanyl that continue to fuel the opioid epidemic and deaths from opioids is huge. The rising use of methamphetamine and the increased use of alcohol due to the pandemic for me are top of mind every day. And how we come up with solutions cannot be the work of just the managed care organization. It has to be much broader than that, including changes and support coming from our government for ongoing policy issues. Um, for instance, keeping some of the aspects that came to be during COVID that supported telemedicine services, keeping those alive post-pandemic um, is very top of mind for me. I also continue to really be motivated by the collaborative care models for behavioral health. These help solve for quality and availability of care. They help us deliver appropriate behavioral health services in primary care and in other medical settings like pain clinics. And importantly, I believe we'll see they will help solve for some of the availability issues that we're seeing in the behavioral health field because of um, giving people care early on, earlier in the course of their disease in a setting where they're receiving the rest of their health care so we can integrate everything together may open up spots with behavioral health professionals for those folks who have risen to moderate to severe levels of need. Um, so we can really align services where members are and get the right services to members who have the highest need. Those things are really motivating me right now and in thinking about this really consuming a lot of my time. Um, I love being able to be at a place where we can step back and look holistically at all of the solutions out there to put together the right programs to address these problems. Absolutely. I think that sounds really fantastic. And I love, you know, the way that you're looking at and focusing on behavior health and what it really takes in order to serve complex patients and people in complex situations. I think that really seems like a key to many different um, healthcare organizations. Um, I think, you know, uh, the next question I have here is just along those lines, obviously it takes a lot of resources enabled to develop and innovate in those spaces. From your perspective, how do you make sure that you're able to create programs that are making a difference and have the resources to do so on the front end, knowing that on the back end, you know, it'll certainly save time and, and energy um, where these uh, people may be taking up additional healthcare resources if their situation worsens? 
Um, sure. So I think in order to do that, it's really important to have partnerships. And those partnerships are necessary across the provider landscape as well as within communities. So to think that a single provider group in a community, say, can solve the suicide crisis um, or the opioid crisis is really unrealistic. Similarly, to think that, say, a single agency um, in a state Medicaid program could do that or that a managed care plan could do that. Those entities really need to come together to make situations where one plus one equals three in terms of improving the kind of services and tackling some of those problems that we see in healthcare today. I really see a lot of this being driven out of Medicaid programs and really progressive leadership in our states in the Medicaid programs where they're looking more holistically at individuals who will benefit from community interventions, medical interventions, behavioral interventions, um, even some things, you know, depending on the individual into the criminal justice system and how we blend those together to better create a safety net and to better align the member or the individual who needs services to getting those through the right front door when they need them. I don't think any single organization can do that alone, but aligning together and working very early on in the planning process is really critical. Um, I also think that in terms of looking at the resource need, that's where we see that combination of using digital tools to help align the right kind of services to those individuals who will benefit from digital tools and are comfortable using digital tools um, all the way to individuals who may never want to use a digital tool or their disease condition may not be appropriate for that tool. It's up to us, I think, as managed care entities to really help with that alignment, to know and understand what tools have a good evidence base behind them, have results behind them, and should be covered services to support individuals who want to and can benefit from those tools. What tools are those kinds of tools that are truly therapeutic versus which of those tools are the types of tools that are nice to have because they're complementary to other services being delivered, but in and of themselves are not therapeutics. And then finally, where can digital services be used to better reach populations who might not otherwise have care? We've seen a lot of that happening in the employer space with companies delivering behavioral health services to employees through digital means first or through digital connections like telemedicine. That's really, really helped alleviate a lot of the access to care it doesn't change the availability of care necessarily because we're still all competing for the same provider pool. To answer that question is again where I go back to collaborative care about how do we support primary care providers and other healthcare providers in screening for and delivering evidence-based treatments early on in the course of someone's need and helping them to triage into higher levels of care as they need that kind of care. 
I think that combination of digital hands-on um, in many cases and combining the hands-on with the digital will get us to where we need to be. Got it. I, I think that really just paints a great picture of where healthcare is headed. And from your perspective, are you seeing those conversations between um, yourself and, and payers as well as providers getting easier? Or how are things changing as the needs of patients and the community changes and you have additional technologies um, to, to bring that together? What do you see as being different? I see what is different will have to be a couple of things. Payment models is the first one. Um, we can't expect new technologies to come into the market and replace old ways of delivering care you know, for free. And so we have to think about how do those tools fit into the delivery of care space and where and how we pay for those tools to get used. So if you look at it as if the tool is truly the therapeutic versus a tool is complementary, you know, how do we look at what those payment models should look like? Because we won't have uptake and companies won't continue to exist and innovate if there's no alignment of, of payment for those kinds of tools. The second is the comment you made um, about understanding what's happening in communities. I think those issues have always been there. I think what we're doing better at now is truly understanding the impact of those concerns on health, on health outcomes, and on the utilization of healthcare resources. So if I think back to my young childhood, I remember um, seeing a family who had a daughter who suffered from schizophrenia and in that circumstance years ago, there weren't resources like there are today to help families get individuals who are suffering from serious mental illness into places of, of care and support. We recognize that now, thankfully, and those programs are being developed. In other circumstances, the recognition that the Difficulty, say, getting one's medications, the difficulty with food insecurities, the difficulties um, with all sorts of things that we describe under that global umbrella as a social determinant of health um, are critically important. And we're understanding that in a way that is bringing together providers, community resources, and payers to really focus and center the right kinds of care around individuals. Um, I think it's one of those an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It is very true here. If we can prevent the catastrophic event, if we can prevent that chronic lingering issue that is driving emergency care utilization inappropriately uh, or driving inpatient care inappropriately because we've done the right thing on the front end, that's worth its weight in gold. And I love that we're coming together as an industry and as a community and as you know, government agencies to really full on address those issues. I think that makes a lot of sense and you know, really is a testament to the great work that um, people like yourself have been doing in the industry to shed light on this and then really move forward the partnerships and the 
uh, resources needed uh, in this space. I think before we wrap up our conversation, I just wanted to ask where you see some of the best opportunities for continued partnerships and digital transformation um, in this space, if there's anything else that we haven't touched on already. I think that that greatest opportunity, while we've touched on it at a smaller level, is really in creating a consolidated set of services. And we think about that set of services between digital and say a health plan and providers as in some cases really replacing some of the work that gets done today. So where can we use a digital type of service to replace inefficiency? So instead of calling in to talk through a provider customer service kind of thing, where can we put something online in a digital fashion that's much easier for individuals to address and get the help they need, whether it's administrative help or in the clinical space, where can we put out the ability for an individual to get screened and to help have alignment down the path that they might need, say for in the behavioral health space uh, or chronic disease space, say just for coaching um, and getting that kind of coaching and disease management service in an application or a digital tool as opposed to having to see a provider. In the second case, it's looking at where those tools are complementary. So if I'm the care manager, what tools can I give my members to support their journey? We have a terrific program that we've kicked off at Magellan that is one that is really near and dear to me, which is looking at individuals who have come into inpatient behavioral health hospitalization because of suicidal ideation attempts or gestures. And at discharge, we're putting neuroflow into the hands of those patients so that we can follow them digitally during the course of those 90 days after inpatient stay when the risk for a reattempt is the greatest. Through that tool, I can tell you today, we have already made significant interventions to get people into immediate care who needed care that we were able to pick up on through the application. And so that kind of complementary tool where our care managers can see the data and can know when to intervene to help individuals who may be headed toward a bad outcome. And then finally, I think we have to look at areas where we really do need the human touch and digital is never, ever, ever going to cut it. And I think about while a digital tool can enable peer support in occurring or can enable a recovery support specialist in reaching an individual, it's that human touch that will really matter in connecting an individual with lived experience to that member in need. And that kind of thing, you know, we can never, ever forget that I started the, the talk this morning with saying this, that it's that need of the member, that person out there whose life needs touched. We can never forget that human element. And there are many circumstances today where digital will never replace that human element. And we have to keep that as part of our set of tools. Dr. Carney, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. 
I really appreciate the time and the questions. Thank you so much. And thanks to Beckers for keeping these series alive and well. I love hearing what other folks are doing in this industry. Thank you so much.